Down the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem that day, the soldiers tried to clear the narrow streets, but the crowd pressed in to see the man condemned to die on Calvary. He was bleeding from a beating. There were stripes upon his back. And he wore a crown of thorns upon his head. And he bore with every step the scorn of those who cried out for his death. Down the called the way of suffering like a lamb came the messiah christ the king but he chose to walk that road out of his love for you and me down the via dolorosa all the Triste día en Jerusalem. Los soldados le abrían paso a Jesús. Mas la gente se acercaba para ver al que llevaba aquella cruz. Por la vía dolorosa que es la vía del dolor como veja vino Cristo Rey Señor y fue el quien quiso ir por su amor por ti por mí por la vía dolorosa al souls of all men made its way to the heart of Jerusalem. Down the Via Dolorosa called the way of suffering like a lamb came the Messiah chose to walk that road out of his love for you and me down the via dolorosa all the way to calvary
many years ago, uh, when I was living at home, I lived at a four-family uh, apartment or a house that my, me and my father owned. It was a summer day, and I was outside cutting the lawn. As I was cutting the lawn, I saw two people. They were walking door to door, knocking on people's doors, and they had looked like Bibles in their hands. And so I said, they, they got to be Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I said, well, I want to engage them. I was a, I was a Christian, um, and I felt comfortable enough that I think I could have a conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses. I knew something about the Jehovah's Witnesses and what they believed, um, but not all of it. And so I said, I'm going to engage them. So I stopped the lawnmower. They knocked on my door, and I approached them. I said, I said, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? They said, we are. I said, you know, I'd be interested in learning to what you have to say. Is there a time when you can come over to my house and we could have a discussion? Now, of course, I had no intention and no interest in what they had to say to me. I was more interested in what I had to say to them, though they did not know that. So we set up a time, and they came over uh, my house. There were two ladies. There was an older woman and a younger woman. And we met for several weeks. And, of course, the central... Uh, uh, the central theme or person in which we talked about was Jesus. We had a differences with regards to Jesus. Uh, they saw Jesus as someone who was a created being. He was not someone who was a person who always existed. They believed that Jesus was God, but that he was a created being. I did not have that view of Jesus Christ. I believed that he was a God who always existed from eternity past. And of course, then I would quote John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Well, they didn't agree with that. Well, apparently, if Jesus was a created being, they believed that Jesus created everything, but that He was created first. And uh, I said, well, if that's true, then we have a problem with John 1, 1 to 3, because he said, the scripture says that he created everything, and everything that was made was made by him. And if he was created, then he's excluded from that. So there's a problem there. But then they seemed to focus on Jesus' kingship. They didn't believe that Jesus was a king, and they kept emphasizing that for some reason. And I didn't know why, but they, they constantly said Jesus is not a king, and he didn't see himself as a king. He never saw himself as a king. And they would go to a passage in the New Testament. It's in John chapter 6. After Jesus fed the 5,000, there in John 6.15, John 6, it states that the people came to take Jesus by force in order to make him a king. But Jesus perceived that, and he departed alone into the mountains. And they said, see, Jesus never wanted to become a king. And so they used that passage as to justify that Jesus never viewed himself as a king. And of course, I did not know how to respond to that. Why did Jesus at that moment in time not want to be their king? They were going to take him by force to be their king. And I, that, that, that troubled me, and I didn't know how to respond to that. Now, if I were there today, it would be a different story. And I would turn to the passages that we're going to look at today. It's in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, and it's the passage where Jesus 
enters into Jerusalem. It's the classic passage of the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now, what's unique about this story is that it is mentioned in all four Gospels. It's, in, it's mentioned in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. It's mentioned in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. It's mentioned in Luke chapter 19, and it's also mentioned in John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. It's in all four Gospels. What does that mean? It means that the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem is important. If it's in all four Gospels, then this is important, and the Holy Spirit wants us to know something about Jesus in this passage. And clearly, Jesus is, is going to ride in into Jerusalem as a king. And unfortunately, there are people today who do not accept or do not believe that Jesus was a king, nor do they believe that Jesus saw himself as a king. Which brings me to the main point of the whole message is this. We must receive Jesus for who he is and not for what we want him to be. Let me repeat that again. We must receive Jesus for who he is and for not what we want him to be. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem as a king in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. So the first point I want to, uh, to share is this, that the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as a king was deliberately staged by Jesus, verses 1 through 3. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey that is tied and a colt with her. Loose them, untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. What we see in the map here is the possible trek that Jesus took when he went into Jerusalem his final time the week before uh, he was going to go to the cross. If you look at the very top picture where it's, it says Galilee, there's a place called Capernaum. That's where Jesus' base ministry was. It was in Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus was a Galilean. He was a Nazarene, a Nazareth from Galilee, okay? So we see that's where Jesus' base of operations for his ministry in Galilee was. When it was time for him to be uh, taken up to go to the cross, Jesus is going to start his trek going southward. And he's going to go southward, and he goes to a place called Gine, or in Samaria. Now, we see Jesus has taken his trek southward. Now, what he's doing is he wants to go to Jerusalem, and he starts going into Samaria. Why does he want to go through Samaria? Because it's the most direct route to Jerusalem. Why does he want to go to Jerusalem? Because it's the Feast of Passover, and so it was one of the three major festivals where the Jews would go to Jerusalem to worship God. You had the Passover feast, you had the Feast of Pentecost, and you had the Feast of Tabernacles. So here, he starts his trek to go to the Passover by going through Samaria. But he goes to a place, a possible village, called Gene. 
Now, what happens here is that he starts going to, through Samaria to go to Jerusalem. But the, some of the Samaritans in this particular village recognize that he has his face set towards Jerusalem. And so they don't want to receive Jesus. You say, well, why would they do that? Why would the Samaritans not receive Jesus because his, he's determined to go to Jerusalem? Well, the Samaritans worshipped at a rival place at Mount Gerizim. They did not worship in Jerusalem. They worshipped at Mount Gerizim. So when the Samaritans found out that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, their rival place of worship, they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. So what does Jesus do? You see that account in Luke chapter 9, by the way. So what happens now is that Jesus decides to go uh, eastward uh, out of Samaria, and he goes to Decapolis, Deca, 10, Polis city. It is the province of 10 cities. And so he goes to the region of Decapolis and he starts working his way south along the east bank of the Jordan River. And he goes all the way south till he reaches a road that takes him back westward into uh, Judea, which is the province where Jerusalem is. And he goes to the city of Jericho. What happens in Jericho? You see this in Matthew right before this passage that we're reading. He goes to Jericho, and there he sees a blind man, two blind men actually, and they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us, and he heals them. He gives them their sight. These blind men called Jesus by his messianic title, son of David, and because they had spiritual insight, he heard their physical sight. Now, what's happening in Jericho as he's traveling this route he is amassing a large crowd with him. There is a multitude of people who are gathering with Jesus as he's making this trek. So he's not by himself, and nor is he just with his disciples. He's getting a large multitude of people that are with him. So he goes to Jericho, the city of Palms, and from Jericho, which is about 15 miles, to Bethany, he continues traveling southeast towards Jerusalem, and he enters Bethany. And Bethany, and then he goes to Bethphage, or Bethphage. That's pronounced, you hear people pronounce that word differently. But that's where they go. This is about two miles from Jerusalem. Now, Bethany and Bethphage uh, is now today called uh, Elazaria. Today, if you look at a map, it's pronounced Elazaria. Elazaria, Lazarus. This is the vicinity where Lazarus was raised. So evidently, if you are raised from the dead, you get a city named after you. Maybe one day when we're raised from the dead, we get a city named after us as well. I don't know. But that's the name of the place today, Lazaria, Bethany, and Bethphage. Now, Jesus has a tremendous amount of people that are with him. And he tells the disciples, when he's in, when he's in Bethphage, he tells two unnamed disciples to do what? Go to the village opposite you, it could have been Bethany, and he says, I want you to, you will find a colt, a donkey and her, and her colt, and I want you to untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, you say that the Lord needs them, and then they're going to let them go, and you can bring them to me. Now, why is that important? Why is this story being told? It's important because Jesus is initiating this whole process. He's deliberately uh, organizing and setting this procession into Jerusalem in motion. Why is that important? Because there are many people today 
in history and even today who say that Jesus never saw himself as a king. He saw himself as just a regular person. And the reason why he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey was because he was either pressured by the crowds that he was walking with and they convinced him that he was the Messiah or he got swept up in all the emotion and the fervor of the time. Remember, they're going to Passover. And Passover was a festival which commemorated the Jews' deliverance from Egypt. So they had this expectation of being delivered and a savior to come. Okay? And so skeptics will say that Jesus did not see himself as a savior. He did not see himself as the king. He did not see himself as the Messiah. He was convinced and was caught up in the emotion by the crowds who were saying that he was. And because he was around it enough times, and heard the praise of the people long enough, he began to be convinced and says, well, maybe I am. So he did what they wanted him to do and then eventually was killed in the process, dying on a cross. The fact that Jesus is the one who tells his two unnamed disciples to go and get the donkey and bring it to him shows us that he was fully aware of what he was doing. He had every intention on riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, thus showing publicly that he was a king. So anyone who makes a claim that Jesus did not know what he was doing and got caught up in this crowd, in this fervor during Passover, has to deal with this passage, which is why it's being told. Jesus is the one who's orchestrating everything. He did this deliberately. He sees himself as the Messiah which tells us that we need to, uh, we must receive him as he is a king, not as what we would like him to be. And some still have a hard time accepting that. Those Jehovah's Witnesses that I spoke about earlier did not accept Jesus as being a king. And you know why Jesus in, in John chapter 6 did not want to be king at that time? Two reasons. Number one, it wasn't time. He had more ministry to accomplish, and he didn't want the misunderstandings of his kingship to affect his work, so he went away. Secondly, he didn't want them to take him to be their king by force because he understood that they were understanding his kingship as a political savior, which is something he did not want to be thought of as that way, so he said no. But now is the time, and so he publicly proclaims to everyone that he's a king, and he does so by orchestrating these events. So we see that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was done deliberately by Jesus himself. He orchestrates the whole thing by sending two disciples to go get the donkey and bring it here because Jesus has every intention on riding it publicly into Jerusalem so everyone knows he's king. Secondly, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as king fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Verses 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, referring to the population of Jerusalem, for the term Zion is a reference to Jerusalem, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, why is it important that the author 
Matthew puts this Old Testament text here. He's quoting an Old Testament prophet, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That's what Matthew is quoting. He takes an Old Testament passage referring to uh, a king riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And he puts it right here. Where does he put it? Right after Jesus made the initial claim that he was king. Jesus independently and deliberately made everyone aware that he was a king. But the question now remains, well, what if Jesus was, was acting independently? Who gave him the right to be king? What if he's usurping a position that doesn't belong to him? The fact that this verse that this, this Old Testament text is here is to show that Jesus' actions is consistent with God's revelation as was previously given to God's people in the Old Testament. So yes, Jesus Christ did initiate this event as riding on a donkey as a king. But just because he initiated it does not mean that he was usurping a position that did not belong to him. The Old Testament text shows that Jesus' action is consistent with God's previous revelation in the Old Testament. So he's not deviating from anything. Jesus' actions are consistent with God's Old Testament revelation. And secondly, look at the nature of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. The nature of his arrival is riding on a donkey. Why is he riding on a donkey? Kings don't ride on donkeys. Kings ride on horses. They ride on steeds. When kings would go into a territory to show that they were rulers and kings, they would ride on horses. But here we see Jesus riding on a donkey. What's the significance? The fact that he's riding on a donkey symbolizes and represents that he's a man of peace. He's coming not to rule with power. He's coming as a peaceful king whose purpose is to bring reconciliation between God and man, and the people are not going to see it. He's coming peacefully, lowly, gently. He's coming peacefully. He's not a threat to anyone. That's the purpose and the significance of riding on a donkey. And that's the reason why this Old Testament passage is uh, given to us here in Zechariah 9.9, Jesus' action is a fulfillment of Scripture. It is interesting to note that Jesus will come one day on a white horse. He is going to come back on a white horse. Listen to the uh, words the, of Scripture in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with, with, with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a picture of Jesus when he returns as a thundering king with power on a horse. That's what the Jews thought they were coming with the first time. 
Their idea of the Messiah was right. They just had the timing wrong. Jesus is going to come again. The picture and the image here that I just read in Revelation is the picture of the glorified Christ coming to judge the nations on a white horse the way that the Jews in, G, in, the first, uh, in the Passover before Jesus' death, the Jews thought he was going to come that way the first time, but they, he did not. So we see here that the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Jesus was not acting independently of, God, of the Father's will. And thirdly, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as king brought a claim among the masses that was short-lived. Verses 6 through 11. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them, on the cloaks. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, literally shaken, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Here we're going to see the crowds, when he rides into Jerusalem, everyone's praising him. And they're, they're doing two things. They're saying something with their words, but they're also doing something with their actions. What are they doing? What are they doing with their actions? The first thing that the crowd does is that they lay their clothes on the ground before Jesus. So when he rides into Jerusalem, so what does that mean? What is the significance of putting your clothes on the ground? When kings entered into the territory that they were ruling, oftentimes the people would line up on both sides and they would throw their clothes on the ground. And what that symbolized was submission to the king, to the ruler who was now entering. And so when these people line the streets and Jesus is riding as a king on a donkey, which the people recognize... They put their clothes on the ground as an act of submission to the king who is now entering. But they also lay palm branches on the ground. The text doesn't say palm branches, but it does so in John's gospel. These are palm branches. Palm trees were, they were prevalent in that area, in that region at the time. And so they take palm branches and they lay them on the ground. Well, what's the significance of that? The palm branches signified two things. They signified victory, and they also represented Jewish nationalism. So we see Jewish nationalism, victory, and their submission to the king. But then they also say words, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does Hosanna mean? Save now. Save, I pray. God save us. Which is typical during the Passover feast because of what it represented. So here we have the people with all of their words and their actions combined, what they're saying is they believe that Jesus is the king. They're going to submit to his leadership because they understand him as the one who's going to deliver the nation and be victorious over Rome. That's what they were communicating, what they were doing all of this. But yet in just a short time, at the, just a few days later, this same crowd is going to say, crucify him. Why do they do that? Very simple. They do that because they didn't expect the Messiah to do what he did, which was not deliver them from Rome. 
They didn't expect that. And so when they found out that the Messiah wasn't going to do what they had expected him to do, they were no longer going to follow him. In other words, they, weren't, they didn't want a Jesus as he is. They wanted him as they wanted him to be. That's the difference. That's the problem. And we live in a society today that doesn't want to receive Jesus as he is, but only as they want him to be. He was a good moral teacher, a good moral man, but he wasn't king. He was not a Messiah, and he certainly didn't view himself as such. This passage shows us that all of that is false. Jesus did know who he was. He did know he was the Messiah. He understood himself as such, except the people's expectations of Jesus were radically different from what Jesus wanted them to see. And as a result, they said no. This whole idea, this whole passage tells us that we must receive Jesus as he is and not as we want him to be. Jesus came into Jerusalem for one purpose, to die on that cross. That was his mission, so that you and I could have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we prepare for Holy Week, are there areas in your life that you have refused Jesus to govern? Are there areas in your life that you don't want to give to him as king? I'm sure that if we all were honest with ourselves and looked deep within ourselves and was reflective on where we are in our relationship with Jesus as we prepare for this Holy Week, I'm sure that there are things that the Holy Spirit will point out and say, I want you to give this to me. Will you give this to me and let me rule that area, that part of your life? Or are you going to say no because you want me to be a certain way in your life in that particular area? You want me to not see that? You want, me to, keep, you want to keep that in the closet, not talk about it? You don't want to address it? And that's what we do. We don't want to deal with something that's in our hearts that we know we need to deal with. We don't want to talk about it because it's disconcerting to, to, to want to bring these things up and to talk about it and to be honest with God about it. If Jesus is king and he is Lord, then we must allow him to rule every area of our lives. And that's important as we prepare for next week as we look at the open, the empty tomb. If Jesus is not there, he's alive, he's king. We must receive Jesus for who he is, not for what we want him to be. In the 1993 movie, In the Line of Fire, Clint Eastwood played Secret Service agent Frank Horrigan. Horrigan had protected the life of the president for more than three decades, but he was haunted by the memory of what had happened 30 years before. Horrigan was a young agent assigned to President Kennedy on that fateful day in Dallas in 1963. When the assassin fired, Horrigan froze in shock. For 30 years afterward, he wrestled with the ultimate question for a Secret Service agent. Can I take a bullet for the president? In the climax of the movie, Horrigan did what he had been unable to do earlier. He threw himself into the path of an assassin's bullet to save the chief executive. Secret Service agents are willing to do such a thing because they believe the president is so valuable to our country and the world that he is worth dying for. 
Obviously, they would not take a bullet for just anyone. At Calvary, the situation was reversed. The president of the universe actually took a bullet for each and every single one of us. And it is at the cross we see how valuable we are to God. It is the cross that is an expression of God's love for every single one of us. And that's the reason why he was going into Jerusalem riding as a king. To show that the king of the world loved you and I so much that he was willing to endure what he endured so that we could have a right relationship with him. The king of the universe taking a bullet for every single one of his subjects who didn't deserve it so that we could have a relationship with him and be used by him to glorify the one who once again is going to come back riding on a white horse and set all things right. That's our Jesus. That's our king. And we long for that day when he comes back again so that he can make all things new. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this story, this, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. At least that's what the passage is known, normally called. Uh, Lord, we recognize that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We say that oftentimes verbally, but if we're true, we can be like the crowd sometimes. We acclaim your, your name and your praise. We exalt you with our words, but there may be certain, certain times, certain areas in our life where we just are unwilling to follow your leadership and are unwilling to follow your ways. Uh, Father, we just ask that you would help us this holy week, that we would be mindful of your kingship in our lives, of the price that was paid, and of the areas that you would like us to give over to you that you can have control over. Uh, Father, we, just, we need your help in that area. Give us strength to do that. Help us a willingness to look at those areas in our lives that we need to re-examine and to reflect upon so that you can just have your way in our lives. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to go to the cross. We're forever grateful for that. That's the reason why we're here to worship you today is because of what you have done and what you desire to do in and through us for the sake of your son's name and for the good of others around us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And help us to meditate on you, the king, as you really are and not as what we want you to be. Amen. Jesus paid our ransom. He paid our ransom. The king of all the universe was willing to go on a cross to die for you and for me. Amazing. Amazing grace. Thank you for your prayers. And be mindful this week as we prepare for the day in which we celebrate and observe his resurrection. This week, Jesus is king. He understood it himself. And may that be a thought in our minds this week, a resurrected king that we're going to celebrate this week. Receive him as king not as we want him to be. Receive him as he is. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in peace.